Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Looking for a Netflix recommendation that's worth two hours of your time? Or a forgotten album that's worth picking up on iTunes? OverdueReview.com is your destination for unbiased, unpretentious, thoughtful opinions on movies, TV, and music from every era. OverdueReview.com. Better late. Hello, friends, and welcome again to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening to this program. Appreciate you tuning in. I'm Clint Davis, the movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. In just a little bit, we'll be hearing from our music editor, Andy Sedlak, on his take on music you should be streaming right now all across the vast media wasteland. But it's my department to talk about TV and movies, and there's plenty of them out there right now on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and in theaters, and we'll get to uh, quite a few of them today. First, before I get into the meat of the program, though, I do want to mention that uh, this show, show 14 of the Stream Police podcast, is debuting six months to the day after our first episode hit the web back in April. So uh, I just really want to thank all you guys for tuning in and listening, you know, from the beginning, or if you're just checking it out and going back and uh, listening back to all the old episodes. Just really appreciate it. We've had a lot of fun doing this show so far, and We'll continue to uh, just make it better and better week in and week out. But, yeah, 14 shows, and here we are six months later to the date. Pretty cool. Uh, and we're still on the air. Nobody can pull us off. That's the beautiful thing about Internet broadcasting and also the worst thing about it. So, uh, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. Let me start the show as I start almost every show here with my Stogie of the Week as I'm lighting up in my tiny closet where I can barely stretch. I, I, can, only, I can only spread my arms out one way. I can, I can get one elbow to touch the wall. The other one has to be down at my side. That's how little room I have in here, uh, and I do it all for you guys. But I smoke this stogie for me, even though it does make the place uh, a fire hazard, as I'm told. But I have no problem with that. It's, it's, it's all for the love of the game. Uh, this week I'm going to smoke a classic, a Romeo and Juliet. Let me light her up. 
That's a good one, man. Romeo and Juliet. You can get that's the best. That is the best cigar you can get at a gas station. I will put my money down on that. <laughs> uh, I mean, just a, a great flavor. It smells awesome. It's 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 pretty robust. Pretty pretty strong. I mean, it's not really one of those like faint-hearted flavored cigars, but not bad. Not bad at all. Gotta like a Romeo and Juliet. A classic, as I said. All right, so we are smack in the middle now of horror movie season, and by the time this show airs, we're just a few days before Halloween. And, hell, when you listen to it, it might already be past Christmas. But when I'm recording it, just so we're clear on each other here, it is it is Halloween season and it is scary movie season. And I love it. Ha- scary movies have always been horror. The horror genre has always been one of my favorites. I've always been a horror nerd. I've seen... I've seen tons of them over the years. My wife and I are, are always kind of sad at this point because we we feel like every year it comes around and we've already seen like every good horror movie. That's the That sounds stupid, but it's really one of the only genres that you can feel like you've already seen every good one. Like you, you've seen all the great horror movies and there's so few of them ever made. Like there's not one every year that's great, you know? It's like once every few years there's a great, like the, the new best horror movie uh, comes out. Like the, the most recent one I can think of that was the greatest, newest horror movie that was legitimately a great movie was The Conjuring. That's the the most recent one I can think of that really left me like flat on my ass when I came out of it. It was scary, had good acting, had a great story. It was just a w- very well done movie. And it's just, it doesn't happen very often, right? So here we are in scary movie season again, and we went to the the movie theater the other day to see uh, Guillermo del Toro's movie Crimson Peak. And my wife has been raving about wanting to see this movie forever because she loves Pan's Labyrinth is one of her favorite movies ever. And and why not? It is it, that's a it's pretty much a perfect film. I really have nothing bad to say about Pan's Labyrinth. It gets better every time you watch it. Uh, but he just did Crimson Peak, and I don't know if you've heard about this one. It's got uh, Mia Wasikowski or Ka- Wasikowska. I'm sorry, not a, not an I, but an A at the end there. And it's got uh, Tom Hiddleston from the Avengers movies, and he just played Hank Williams in the uh, in the Hank Williams biopic. But uh, it's it's got it's got the guy from Sons of Anarchy in it as well, who was supposed to be in Fifty Shades of Grey, but decided to back out. I guess he, he got afraid of showing his ass. Uh, but anyways, Crimson Peak is like this gothic horror film that takes place part in old Buffalo, New York, and part in England. And it's got this beautiful costuming. It's got great sets. It's just a, it's a, a feast for the eyes, as the old cliche goes. Um, but it is a horror movie, I would say. And after seeing it, I don't think I'm going to give it a strong recommendation. I'm going to give it a soft recommendation if that because I just wasn't really blown away by this one Um, and it's not one that I would say you need to rush out to the theater and go see right away Um, but visually this was a very pleasing film Crimson Peak was it's the kind of production design treatment that really in the horror genre only goes to ghost films like you never see a slasher movie that looks this good you never see a movie about a, a guy running around in a costume cutting teenagers' throats that just looks like this. Just It just has this, I mean, it's just gorgeous to stare at. The costumes, the sets, as I said, elegant, engrossing sets, and the same for the costuming. The problem is with this movie, for as great as it is to look at, and God, I mean, the sets, I'm serious, very memorable. Um, it's called Crimson Peak because of this 
house that uh, is on a, a hill where the, the ground is saturated with red clay. And in the winter, it snows and all of the clay comes up from the, the ground and seeps into the snow. And so the snow turns blood red. And it just it looks real. It looks as cool as it sounds um, right there. And there's a hole in the roof of the house because it's kind of in, it's just in, like shitty condition. And so there's snow pouring in through the roof. And it's just it's a gorgeous set. It's a good looking film. But the problem with with Crimson Peak is that the story takes forever to get going, and any of the surprises that the the plot wants to set up are very obvious from the start. I mean, pretty much, my wife and I called like every surprise thing that was, and I don't know if it's supposed to be really surprising. Like this, this isn't supposed to be like an M Night Shyamalan. I'm going to wait to the last ten minutes and then blow your mind kind of thing. But still, I mean, anytime you've got like these kind of thriller horror films with ghosts and a lot you know, some intrigue going on, you expect there to be some surprises, but there really were not any surprises in this movie. I didn't feel like at least I saw them coming uh, from a mile away. Maybe that's because I've watched too many sick movies like this. Uh, also, the problem with this movie I had was I'm not sure what kind of film Del Toro wanted to make, but I would label it a horror movie because there are some jump scares. It's a creepy atmosphere, and there's some eerie visuals. The the ghosts and the gore are really well done. I feel like, and the CGI was really well done on the ghosts, and they were they were scary looking. I mean, they were uh, these are the kind of ghosts that if you saw, you would definitely want to run away from. You would not. Uh, I mean, they're not they're not laughable looking. They're they're pretty frightening. Um, but he's he's made a horror film here that squeamish people I feel like will enjoy in parts, but then like bloodthirsty gore lovers are going to enjoy in other parts. So it's just kind of a mixed bag, really. I felt like Crimson Peak was. I mean, one minute you're you're staring in awe at how beautiful the sets are, and then the next minute a guy's getting his head smashed in on a kitchen sink, and he's got this dent in the middle of his skull, and his face is just mauled, and it's just, it's disgusting, and there's blood pouring out everywhere. I mean, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of a sick thing. It's like you remember that scene in Pan's Labyrinth. If you saw the movie, there's a scene in Pan's Labyrinth where a guy gets his head smashed in with a with a bottle, and that's the scene that I always remember from that movie because it was so disgusting how they did it. And Del Toro just like kept the camera on it, and they just they smash this guy's head in, and it's just it's gross. I mean, it really is. Um, and it felt like he went for the same thing in, in one scene specifically in this movie. Um, and I just feel like somewhere in there, man, this guy he's just a dark guy, really. Um, but he loves this kind of storybook look that he can give films. I feel like the character motivations also didn't make much sense most of the time, and the performances were pretty boring. Um, but Mia Wasikowska, as I mentioned before, she really can do no wrong in my book. Uh, I saw her in a in a movie. If you if you really like, don't know her, but you want to see a movie that kind of explains why she's really good at at especially like cre- kind of creepy part, like young girl creepy parts. Um, she was in a, in a movie called Stoker. And I reviewed it at uh, I reviewed it over doreview.com, and it was just this one of those movies where when I watched it, I really didn't like it that much first time I saw it. But then the more I thought about it, I realized how great that movie was and how much I really did like it. I just it took me a minute to realize it was very Hitchcock. Um, it had a lot of just just creepy incest, weird sex stuff going on. I mean, very weird. And this movie has kind of the same thing. It's got some weird sex. Uh, stuff in it as well. So if that creeps you out, you might not like it. But uh, Crimson Peak, to me, further shows that um, Guillermo del Toro has this gift for original, unforgettable imagery in his movies. But the plot of this one is much more forgettable, I felt like, than the plot of Pan's Labyrinth. It just didn't stick with me when it was done. She knows who I am and she wants me to leave. Nonsense, my dear. You're not going anywhere. You had a bad dream. You were sleepwalking. No. 
I'm afraid I should go mad if I stay. My darling, you're imagining things. Tomorrow, why don't we go out uh, to the post office? I think some fresh air would do you good. No, I have to leave. I have to get away from here. Edith, this is your home now. You have nowhere else to go. And, and more on Crimson Peak uh, real quick. When we were leaving the movie, my wife said something to me that was one of the saddest things I've ever heard after watching this movie. She turns to me and she says, I just know that Guillermo del Toro will never make another movie as good as Pan's Labyrinth. She said that. And she's a big fan of his, and she loves that movie. But she just said, I know that he's never going to make a movie as good as Pan's Labyrinth. It was like one of those admissions where I went into it hoping it would be that good, but it wasn't, and I just feel like he'll never touch that again. Have you ever felt that way with an artist that you love, a musician, a a director? Um, Not so much with an actor, because I feel like with actors they can always turn the corner, but with a writer, a, a musician, or a director, that they made this movie that you love, that you just thought was fantastic. And then you kept going back to all their other movies, expecting to see that one again and the greatness that that one captured, but it just never happened. That was what I felt she was saying when she, when, after we saw Crimson Peak. And it really made me sad, you know. It's just kind of a bummer to, to lose that kind of faith in a guy that you have a lot of respect for and that you really revere um, a lot. I don't know. I mean, it, it, but again, Crimson Peak was no Pan's Labyrinth, but it certainly wasn't the worst ghost film that I've ever seen. Ghost movies pretty much bore me. They're my least favorite of the horror uh, subgenres. I'd even say I like zombie movies more than I like ghost movies. Um, but this one was it, it was pretty to look at, again, but the plot just not not a whole lot of reasoning. I felt like that made sense behind the things that were happening, behind the character motivations. Um, so that's a movie that is in theaters right now that I did want to touch on real quick. Um, American Horror Story Hotel. This is back uh, on screens again. American Horror Story is with the new season. And I have to say, after watching the first couple episodes of Hotel, this is the darkest and sexiest that this show has ever been. Um, It has done... I feel like this show has done sexy well before. It did it a little bit in the first season. It did it. Uh, I thought that there was a lot of sexy stuff in the third season. I thought the girls in it were sexy. I thought they were just powerful. They owned, you know, they owned their sexuality and they owned the powers that they had as witches. And uh, they, I thought, you know, I thought those women were very sexy. But that season was like pretty funny. It wasn't really scary and dark. This season is like sexy and scary. Um, and reminds me a lot, if you watch the pilot episode of American Horror Story Hotel, if you love the movie Seven, watch American Horror Story Hotel, at least the first episode, because there are so many homages to the movie Seven. It just, from the opening titles um, to the uh, an image of a, a couple that was murdered in, in flagrante delicto, as, uh, as Mr. Body, or as Tim Curry, I should say, would say in Clue, um, it's just one of those, there's a lot of imagery that is just very creepy. And the music, it's got like this 80s, dark, new wave kind of thing going on. And it all just works. Like, I really, I liked the first uh, couple episodes that I've seen so far of American Horror Story Hotel. I think this season has potential to be the creepiest season of that show, which is saying something, and maybe the best season of that show. I don't know. They've got a lot of potential. I mean, the setting of a hotel is great for this kind of anthology show because you can just re- you, you can introduce new characters every week and then kill them off 
just like that or have them move on, and that's fine, and it makes total sense. We don't have to spend a lot of time with all of these characters who might not all be as good as uh, as some of the guests that you can bring in. So uh, American Horror Story Hotel, I'm enjoying it so far. I always you know, pretty much enjoy that show, but I, I do feel like it's, it's, it's kind of hit or miss, and this one is feeling like a hit so far. We'll see where it goes, though, from here. Tell me you love me. Say it! Say, I love you, Sally. And it will all go away. Say it. Um, Horror movies that are streaming right now, I did want to give you like a rundown of the best, the absolute best um, horror movies right now streaming across Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu+. And believe me, there are a lot of them out there. The sheer volume of horror movies on the all three services is huge. Amazon and Hulu, I felt like, had the biggest selection, like the most movies. It took me forever to scan through all of the ones they had just to give you these recommendations. And Netflix had has a lot, but not as many, I feel like, as Amazon and, uh, and Hulu do. Uh, let me start with Netflix, though, because it's the one that most of you probably have. The best horror movies right now on Netflix, the ones that I've seen that I, I think are strong uh, films, at least interesting films, uh, number and, and I'll say that they have some of my favorite, like Netflix doesn't have the most horror movies, but they have, I think, the best selection of, of good horror films um, on any of the streaming services. So they've got a few of my all-time favorite horror movies. They've got Sleepy Hollow, which I reviewed on OverdueReview.com, gave it four and a half stars. Love that film. Might be my favorite Tim Burton movie. Uh, Let the Right One In is also on Netflix right now. If you haven't heard of this one, um, this was, I cannot remember the country of origin off the top of my head right now. Apologize for that, but it's a foreign film. It is. It was remade as Let Me In um, for an American audience. And I never saw the remake, but it was one of those deals where I just, I love the original so much that I really didn't care much about seeing the remake, even though I heard some good things about it. But this movie is so good. It, it's so elegant and sweet. The story between these two, well, one is a young child and a vampire who is also a young kid, has the body of a young kid, but she's much older than that. But she looks like a young, like 10-year-old girl. And they have this kind of pseudo-romance together, but this really this great friendship, one of the best friendships I've seen um, in, in movies in a long time. When I first time I had seen this movie, the friendship really was what stuck out for me. Uh, but Let the Right One In is a great movie. Can't recommend it enough. If you like foreign films, um, give it a watch. It's, it's a very good movie, and it's a very good horror movie, and probably the best vampire movie I've ever seen. Of any of the vampire movies, that is the one I always think of first. So, as I said, Sleepy Hollow, Let the Right One In, two of my all-time favorites. Rosemary's Baby is on Netflix right now as well. Another one of my all-time favorite horror movies and one of my all-time favorite thrillers. I feel like Rosemary's Baby is the scariest movie ever if you were a woman. Like, I just, I can't imagine being especially a pregnant woman with the vulnerabilities that come with being pregnant. I mean, with your size and your limited mobility and um, especially the time that you're going to spend being on your back when you're uh, getting toward the end of the night. Nine months there. This movie is just really, it's scary. It's psychological. It really gets into your head and you, you wonder, is Rosemary crazy or was she really abducted by a cult and uh, inseminated with the spawn of Satan? Um, and that's the storyline of this movie. And it was, uh, it, it was just, it was an amazing movie when it came out. And I think it, it blew a lot of people away, but um, still, just an incredible movie. Roman Polanski uh, directed that one uh, also. Uh, From Dust Till Dawn is also on Netflix, and I've always loved From Dust Till Dawn. I've talked about it before on the stream, Police. Just a funny, 
and and intense and just cool movie. It's just a cool movie. Written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, that is, this is what it would be if Tarantino did a full out horror movie. And also on Netflix, in relation to From Dust Till Dawn, if you love that movie. They've got a movie on there called Full Tilt Boogie that is a documentary about the making of From Dusk Till Dawn, and it's a good look at what goes into making a film. I like that. So, again, From Dusk Till Dawn and Full Tilt Boogie uh, as two related films right now on Netflix. Okay, let's keep going. Another couple great horror movies on Netflix right now. Scream is on there. If you never saw Scream, just drop what you're doing right now and go watch it. There's a reason why it is you know, considered the rebirth of horror films, for better or worse, in the late 1990s. And Hellraiser is on Netflix. I love Hellraiser. This movie blew me away the first time I saw it. Great visuals, so original, just, again, eerie, sexy. It's just, it's really all about, like, the evils of sex, um, Hellraiser is, and, like, S&M bonded shit. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy movie, and it's just, it's got really these great visuals that stick out in your head. I mean, everybody remembers Pinhead, the guy, you know, all the pins sticking out of his face. Uh, but there are so many other cool visuals just like that in Hellraiser. I couldn't recommend that one more if you're looking for a horror movie that you maybe haven't seen yet. We can't. Not alone. You solved the box. We came. Now you must come with us. Taste our pleasures. Tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Best horror on Amazon Instant Video, if you've got that right now. Um, absolutely the number one best horror movie that they have on there right now. One of my very favorites, The Blair Witch Project. It's a controversial, divisive movie. Some people love it, others hate it. I'm in the former category. Still one of the few movies that actually does scare me when I watch it. I just feel like the way they made it, it was so influential and interesting. And yes, uh, the the main uh, character can be pretty annoying at times, but uh, she's also man. You got to feel for her after a certain point. She's just out here trying to make a movie, and it's just hell out in the woods. So that is the movie that really made me never want to go camping again. So Blair Witch Project is on Amazon. Also on Amazon, John Landis's An American Werewolf in London. This is one of the all time pioneers of special effects wizardry. This movie was uh, the first film to ever win an Academy Award uh, for best. Makeup, special makeup effects, I believe, was the, the first time that category was introduced. And it's a, it's a cool movie. It's just an innovative, good-looking uh, 80s horror film. And American Psycho is also on Amazon. I, I don't know if I really call that one a horror movie, but it is always counted in the horror category. To me, it's almost like more of a, I don't know, psychological drama. Like, it's a character study, really. Uh, but it's it's got horror elements and certainly got slasher elements, and it is just a freaking great movie. Cracks me up every time I watch it, and it's Christian Bale's best work um, of his career. Still to this day, best work he's ever done, in my mind. Do you like Phil Collins? I've been a big Genesis fan ever since the release of their 1980 album, Duke. Before that, I really didn't understand any of their work. It was too artsy intellectual. It was on Duke where uh, Phil Collins' presence became more apparent. I think Invisible Touch is the group's undisputed masterpiece. And finally on Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus had a huge selection of horror, but I'm just going to give you two recommendations, two movies that I enjoy that are on there right now. Candyman, first off, this is a good movie. It's, it's legitimately scary. It's got a scary premise, scary villain. Did anybody ever... Back in the day, look in the mirror and play um, 
uh, what was the uh, Bloody Mary with their friends, like at sleepovers and stuff. You say her name three times in the mirror, and she's supposed to appear behind you and kill you or something like that. Um, That's what the premise of Candyman is. This is the Candyman is the guy that comes in uh, when you look in the mirror, and he will. Uh, brutally murder you uh, if you call him in. So uh, it's it's a creepy movie. It's the the guy from Final Destination who played the uh, what was he? he was like a coroner, I guess, um, or a mortician, something like that. The black guy with the real deep voice. He's the guy who plays the Candyman, and he does a very nice job. It's a it's a it's an interesting movie and really better than average in the horror genre, which is always good. And also on Hulu Plus, one of the most controversial and legendary movies ever, Cannibal Holocaust is on Hulu Plus. I tell you, man, I spent so much time when I was a kid. And when I say a kid, I mean like a, a, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, buying DVDs, seeking out these movies that were hard to find and ones that I wanted to own. And I've got this huge DVD collection now, which is basically worthless because Every movie is now on freaking Netflix and Amazon for like a $9 subscription every month. Uh, But anyways, Cannibal Holocaust was one of those movies I looked very hard to try to find a copy of. It was hard to track one down, and I got a copy of it on DVD years ago, and my friends and I would watch it. But now it's just on freaking Hulu Plus for like $10 a month. So there you go. That's that's the, the futility of... Everything being available at your fingertips, I guess. But that is right now on Hulu Plus, and it is a legendary, gory, just sick movie. If you uh, have any more recommendations, you can send them to me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. All right, I'm going to take a break and uh, toss things over to our music editor, Andy Sedlak. And when I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the new TV season. Three more shows that have premiered since the last time we talked, or that I've just gotten into since the last time we talked. I'm sorry, four more shows, actually. And also, how much TV am I watching this fall? And you'll, I'll help you find out how much you're watching this fall as well. I'll be back in a few minutes. Take it away, though, Andy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So, in honor of Back to the Future Day, Spotify put out the Marty McFly playlist. You guys see this? They encourage listeners to rock out like Marty McFly with a time-traveling playlist. The studio from Phil Collins was on it. View to a Kill from Duran Duran, Heaven by Brian Adams. The idea, I think, was to... Pair like the best of the 80s with the best of today because thinking out loud, Ed Sheeran was on there, Uptown Funk, Shut Up and Dance. I don't know. I can't picture Marty McFly listening to What Do You Mean? What do you mean? 
Now, I can see him listening to Springsteen's Glory Days. And that's the theme they should have gone with. Here's what Marty McFly would have been listening to in 1985. We know he was into Huey Lewis and Van Halen. Who are you? Do you think Marty would have been listening to the Go-Go's? Probably not. But I bet he would have been into Dire Straits. Better question. What would Doc have been listening to? Probably a lot of Igor Stravinsky. I'm Andy Sedlak, by the way. Music editor at OverdueReview.com. Check out the website uh, if you haven't uh, if you haven't done so lately. And again, go back through the archives. Uh, the, the the things that we put up on that site um, really don't age because they're already sort of written in hindsight. So they're always just sort of there and ironically perpetually fresh because they are so they're looking at things that are older. So uh, go back through the archives, take a look, maybe dig up some things, spend a little time over there, put a lot of work into it. But all this Back to the Future talk has me digging up the actual soundtrack album, and it instantly makes everything epic. Imagine doing the dishes to the Back to the Future overture. There's, a lot, uh, there's other stuff on there, too. Lindsey Buckingham, Clapton, have tunes on that soundtrack. A couple Hall of Famers there. Uh, speaking of which, I want to revisit our discussion about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I touched on the 2015 nominees a couple weeks ago, and I told you that I voted for the Cars, NWA, the Smiths, Deep Purple, and Steve Miller. I talked to Clint. He didn't vote for anybody that I did. He voted for Nine Inch Nails, the JBs, yes, in Chicago. And just like that, we fell into their trap. The Hall of Fame wants to generate discussion. That's the reason for the wide variety of nominees. I mean, Janet Jackson was nominated because the Rock Hall values legacy, and the Jacksons have a legacy. Regarding my picks, I told Clint, uh, or Clint told me, rather, that he couldn't vote for the cars because their run was so short, but eh, that's debatable. I looked it up. True, they didn't add much to the top 40 after like 1987, but their first hit was in uh, 78. It's almost a decade of pop viability. But I really voted for them because they were pretty much the faces of New Wave, which was not some kitschy subgenre. Uh, it was the real deal there for a while. And they also get points because their last album, if you listen to it, 2011's Move Like This, was solid. Top to bottom, solid. Pretty, and pretty much universally hailed by critics. It was actually their first album since 1987. And if the uh, Rock Hall respects anything, it's a late career resurgence.
Now, Clint did not vote for NWA, he told me, uh, like I did, because they really just had the one album, to which I say Sex Pistols. Uh, it doesn't always take long to hit the nail on the head, right? He did have a pointed comment, though, uh, that, that I respect a lot. He said that NWA didn't really evolve the genre. If anything, sort of that hyper-aggressive nature that they had took it back a little bit. And, and, and I think there's, there's a lot to that, um, to that perspective and to that insight. Um, but again, I compare them to the Sex Pistols. And the way that I look at it uh, is that the, the present context of their anger, their frustration, and the moment at the time of that record's release is just, it's just so pure. It's undeniable. Uh, it, it's something that, that's hard to argue with, uh, regardless of lasting effects or the shadow that perhaps it did or did not cast. Uh, Straight Out of Compton is just a very immediate record, uh, just like Nevermind the Bollocks. And it hits you with a ton of bricks. Again, the Rock Hall wants this debate. It thrives off of this debate. How else can you explain the lack of a nomination for the Jay Giles band? You know, baby, I think I must have. You know, I think I must have. I must have got How else can you explain a lack of a, a lack of a nomination for the late great Warren Zevon? Hurry home early. Hurry on home. If you don't do anything else today, go out and dig up Warren Zevon's entire catalog. Beg, borrow, or steal. Gotta find a way to listen to that music. So I got uh, an email from Pete Weber a couple weeks ago. Pete's trying to to get me into EDM music, uh, which I have nothing against. I just never really wrapped my arms around it, never formed an educated opinion about it, and I have no problem admitting that. So, no joke, Pete sent me a list of songs, a long list, and uh, and he was really even killed about it. He's saying he's aware of the reputation <laughs> That the music can sometimes have. Uh, but I could tell that he just loves this stuff. And anybody who who feels for music that much, look, I'm, go- I'm going to hear you out. He said one of his favorite DJs is Cascade. Recommended a song called I Remember. Dead Mouse is on that track. It's funny. As layered and atmospheric as that kind of is, when I hear it, I sort of hear the blues. At least in the vocal, it's there. Another group of DJs he rec- he recommends out of the Bay Area. They're called Dirty Bird. Then there's Todd Ture. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly.
like I'm introducing these songs as new discoveries, and there are going to be people out there, they're going to be rolling their eyes. Just like, it's, you know, like to them, I'm saying, here's a tune by the Beatles. It's called Hey Jude. To somebody listening out there, this is the equivalent to that, I'm sure. But, but discovering these songs uh, has been fun, for real. The energy th- that I think comes from the repetition in the music is, is a fairly powerful thing. It keeps you moving forward. And I think that's why people work out to this. It's why they dance to it. It's why they party to it. I'll tell you, though, I like to work out to music. I like to party to music, whatever. But I also like to think to music. And I don't know if I could have that kind of relationship with this genre. I think it's a motivator. I think it's meant to take part in. It's action-oriented. But I don't know if it's a consoler. If that makes sense. Maybe I'm way off. I don't know. Do you think to EDM? Do you want to think to to EDM? Do you see yourself in it? Do you have that type of relationship with it? How do you love EDM? Not how can a person like this stuff. I'm not being judgmental. I want to know how it connects with you. What's the relationship like with the music? I think it could be interesting. I think some uh, responses there could be interesting. So reach out. Let me know. Describe your bond with EDM. We're all music lovers here. This is a safe space. Every week I give you five songs to download, stream, whatever. If you've been putting them, if you've been putting together a stream police playlist based on these recommendations, you'll have a pretty good and diverse playlist going by now. So here's five more. First, I will recommend I Remember by Cascade. Second, The Great Beyond by R.E.M. I'm pushing an elephant up the stairs. I'm tossing up punchlines that were never there. Over my shoulder, a piano ball. Crash into the ground. No, I don't know what he's talking about there either, but it's important. <laughs> and uh, do you remember this one? Hold Me Down. It's from Tommy Lee. And next is my mind playing tricks on me by the ghetto boys. I had a woman down with me. But to me it seemed like she was down to get me. She helped me out in this shit. But to me she was just another bitch. Now she's back with her mother. Now I'm realizing that I love her. Now I'm feeling lonely. My mind is playing tricks on me. And I don't know if anybody else feels this way. But Home Again is my favorite Elton John song of all time. Just came out in 2013. Uh, You may have missed it, but it it all comes together here. There's beautiful playing, stirring vocal, incredibly poignant lyric, uh, and I'm just scratching the surface. This is a must listen.
T-Bone Burnett produced that, by the way. Warm production. Now, I'll leave you with the words of the great Kinky Friedman. A genius is somebody who's ahead of their time and behind on their rent. I'll see you. Thank you very much, Andy. Always appreciate the uh, music recommendations. I mean, that's a huge thing, right? Apple Music, Spotify, Audio, uh, iTunes, whatever, wherever it is you get your tunes. There's so many out there, man. I mean, so many songs. If you think there's a lot of TV shows, there's way more records coming out every week than there are TV shows and movies, that's for sure. Uh, so definitely appreciate the work, Andy. And uh, you can read more of his uh, long-form album reviews over at OverdueReview.com. All right, welcome back to uh, my segment. Let's talk a little bit more about television specifically now because it is such a huge and intimate part of our lives. I discovered something online just recently uh, done by the folks over at Vulture, which is a uh, an offshoot of, I believe it's New York Magazine. It's like their TV and movies, mostly TV uh, website. And they do some good pieces over there and some good reviews. Uh, I enjoy reading them. They, they do a lot of recaps of TV episodes for what those are worth. Um, but they've got this this feature on there that I feel like is just one of the best things I've ever seen on the Internet. It's called the uh, Vulture Fall TV Commitment Calculator. So basically you it gives you the rundown. It, it gives you this big checkbox menu of every TV show that's, that's on this fall, uh, new and old. And you pick them all, and it'll calculate how much your TV you're going to be watching this fall if you watch every episode of all of those shows. And right now, I am sitting at 131 hours and 8 minutes, give or take a couple series I'm not sure about, of TV this fall. 131 hours of my life I'm going to spend watching these TV shows, and I've already spent a good chunk of that watching TV shows. Um, I'm going to put a link to this Vulture uh, TV calculator up at our Facebook page and on Twitter as well at Overdue underscore review. But just go to uh, Facebook and and find us there at Overdue Review. If you search it, uh, you'll be able to find a link to this TV commitment calculator. But yeah, I'm watching 15 shows total this fall. And it says, it it breaks it down like by what I like. It tells me that I prefer dramas. Um, 67% of the shows I'm watching are considered dramas, and um, I like broadcast shows as well. So broadcast network TV is surprisingly to me the majority of where I'm watching my shows. 33% of my shows were comedy, 67% were drama. I had no reality shows and no game shows and no docuseries on my list. Uh, new versus returning shows, 53% of the shows I'm watching are new, 47% are coming back. 100% of the shows I'm watching are live action. I'm not watching any animated shows uh, this fall, at least I didn't select any. And my top three networks are ABC, Fox, and FX. I'm watching four shows on ABC, three on Fox, and three on FX, which is consequently the entire FX fall season. I'm watching every show that they've got on right now, which includes The Bastard Executioner, um, which I have been enjoying more and more every week. Also, American Horror Story Hotel and Fargo, of course. And let me start out by talking about a few more fall TV shows that I've started watching since the last time we spoke. And I'm going to lead it off with Fargo Season 2. I raved about Fargo a couple weeks ago talking about how the new season was going to start and I couldn't recommend more going out and watching the first season because it was one of the single best seasons of TV I've ever seen. And I didn't know if it was possible, but I feel like Fargo Season 2 so far is as good as Season 1 of Fargo was. This this show is not suffering from a sophomore slump 
from what I can tell in the first couple episodes of the season so far, it's got the same, um, it's got the exact same deadpan humor. It's got the same strong performances, a huge ensemble of characters, um, an interesting mystery and uh, an unpredictability that I feel like this show really has in spades over every other show on TV. You just, you truly never know what is going to happen, who's going to be killed, and what lines are going to be spoken on Fargo every single week. And it is right now on Monday nights, 10 o'clock on FX. I'm going to radio ahead and make sure you make it out of state. If not, I'm going to put out an APB and have you boys round it up, and then we'll talk again. You understand? I do. And isn't that a minor miracle? The state of the world today, the level of conflict and misunderstanding that two men could stand on a lonely road in winter and talk calmly and rationally while all around them people were losing their mind. Uh, Just... God, what a great show. And if you didn't see the first season, it doesn't matter. You can watch season two without uh, needing to know anything about what happened in the first season. And, in fact, season two actually takes place um, a couple decades before season one was set. Okay, uh, a couple other shows. Let's get to the networks. Um, I told you I'm watching four shows on ABC right now. One of those is Quantico that I've added to my list. And Quantico is a show that I'm not ready to recommend yet, but I'm still I'm going to watch it all the way through because it does have this big mystery. Uh, basically, this, the point of the show is you've got all these young, sexy recruits of the FBI in Quantico, Virginia at the FBI training compound. And at the same time, they're telling this parallel story months later, months down the road, of one of the one of the recruits is being framed for this the worst terrorist attack since 9/11 on American soil, quote unquote, is what they say on the show. This huge bombing. So one of the Quantico, uh, one of these trainees, is the person who set up this uh, who orchestrated this this terrorism plot and that's basically the mystery behind this show and every week you're kind of you're figuring out that every person there could be it so quantico is an exhausting show so far as i said it's got a very sexy cast these people are very pleasing on the eyes um Priyanka Chopra is the star of the show, and I did not know Priyanka Chopra. Now, I'll admit it, I don't watch a lot of Bollywood films, um, if that may surprise you, but I don't spend a lot of my free time watching Bollywood. The She, though, apparently is like the biggest actress, the most popular, most famous actress in the world, in, in India at least. And so she's basically like George Clooney and Scarlett Johansson rolled into one for you know all of India. For the billion people that live in India, she is it. And this is the first show, the time she's come to America and done, you know, a big project like this. So she's the big lead on this show. And I feel like she might be one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen leading a network drama. And she's got tons of confidence. It just oozes out of her. But like I said, she's she she's just stunning to look at. She is outstanding. She looks a little bit I mean, she doesn't look old at all, but she looks too old, I feel like, to be an FBI trainee, as do most of the people on this show. It's kind of like Beverly Hills 90210 back in the day when everyone looked like they were 35, but they were supposed to be high schoolers. Uh, That's kind of the deal here. I don't know what the typical age of an FBI trainee is, but I I don't imagine that it's like in your 30s. I would think that it would probably be your your low 20s because of how rigorous um, of a job it is. But 
anyways, Priyanka Chopra, I'm enjoying her. I, I think she's she's a good lead, and like I said, she's she's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the rest of the cast is largely unknown, and none of the other actors I feel like have blown me away so far. And I'm about five episodes into this show, and I just don't feel like the other actors are that good. It doesn't have a strong cast. It's not like How to Get Away with Murder, where it's got these cra- this crazy mystery, and the actors are like really good, and they're written very well. It's not like that. It's got some of the crazy moments and some of the gasp-worthy things happening, but really the actors are not that strong and the writing is just not that strong. It's just not that interesting. Um, I felt like the pilot was a really tough one to follow. It was confusing as hell. It introduced way too many storylines. It kept jumping back and forth in time. It introduced a ton of characters just scattershot right away. And it was just, it's, it was confusing. Confused uh, confused me to watch. And I don't say that often about watching TV shows. But um, Quantico, I'm like, man, I wish I had a damn notepad to follow along with what's going on and who's doing what. It's getting easier week in, week out. But, you know, is it that compelling? I don't know. I feel like I'm sticking around just to find out who the terrorist was. That's really why I'm here. Uh, The FBI training exercises that they show are pretty interesting and I feel like could be a really good tool in telling each week's story. Um, But I kind of wish they went into them maybe a little bit more um, and and use some more like real FBI training techniques uh, to kind of show what that's like as well. Because that is an interesting world and one that I feel like does is a good setting for a TV show. Quantico right now is on ABC on Sunday nights. And as I said, I'm not ready to give it a full-on recommendation. But if you are looking for something that's just kind of – I'm not going to say it's an easy watch because it's not. It's not one you turn on in the background. You have to pay attention to it. It does have a sexy cast, and it's got a solid mystery in it. But, yeah, I don't don't think I would recommend it for mass consumption at this point. Just think it's it's just a little rough still, and they need some better actors to step in um, to make it really shine. We got a tip right before the explosion. Too late to stop, but... What was it? That it was an inside job at one of our own agents. That's crazy. But it's more specific than that. How well do you know these people? I don't understand. We know you researched them, how you lived together for six months. We need you to remember what you found. Wait, are you telling me you think one of these people is a terrorist? Not only that, we're pretty sure they already were a terrorist when they got to Quantico. That's what the tip was. We need your help to figure out who they are so we can stop them before they strike again. Uh, CBS's Life in Pieces. Uh, this is a bit more coarse of a show than your typical CBS comedy. The The show follows uh, a, a large family. It's kind of like the size of the family that was in Parenthood, if you watch that on NBC. It's this big family. You've got the grandparents. You've got the parents. You've got the kids. Um all ages, you know, going from very young, like elementary school, preschool age, all the way up to the grandparents' age, um, and it covers four storyline, four short stories every week, and you know, from different perspectives in the family, um, and, and the way that the show is executed, as far as that. As far as having four stories every week is a little bit clunky, I feel like, because they'll show a subtitle um, on screen, like what the title of that uh, little short story is, and then they'll go into it. Um, And I just feel like four is like too many for you remember watching uh, back in the day, like Beavis and Butthead or like SpongeBob SquarePants. Those shows where they would have like two stories in one episode, like they would show one story, no commercials. And then they would go to a commercial, come back, and it was a totally unrelated second story. That, I feel like, might be better for this show. But the problem is they have four core groups of people in the family that they're trying to follow, so they have to do 
four stories. So I feel like structurally there could be some work done on this show, but I'm enjoying it because it is funny. Life in Pieces is a really is got funny writing, um, but as I said, it's a bit more coarse than the typical CBS comedy. I mean, in the first episode, there's an entire bit spent talking about one character's vagina after she just had a baby. The doctor gives the couple, um, played by Zoe Lister-Jones and Colin Hanks, a warning to not look in that vicinity for at least a few weeks. Well, I've written a prescription for the pain, and I'm going to give you a bunch of these latex gloves. Your job is to fill them with water and keep them in the freezer, take a frozen glove, and insert a finger for relief. Oh, let the fun begin. I'll see you guys in six weeks, and of course, no sex until then. Uh, I'm sorry, did we know that? Oh, slow down. That tunnel is under construction, which reminds me, until I see you, do not, no matter what, under any circumstances, for any reason, ever, look down there. Okay. You're going to want to. No, I'm not. Not anymore. Promise me. Okay, I promise. I swear to God, this is supposed to be a happy time. It is. Oh, congratulations. Now, of course, she ends up looking as soon as they get home from the hospital, and they spend a funny scene talking in pretty graphic detail about what it looked like and even compared her uh, postpartum vagina to, quote, when the predator took off its mask, end quote. Like I said, disgusting detail. That is a gross line, and that is on a CBS family network comedy. Sitcom. That's what that that is the thing about the show that is really interesting. Um, like I said, more coarse than your typical CBS show. A little bit more edgy, and it's funny. It's it genuinely has funny, funny writing. Zoe Lister Jones is the one to me that is sticking out as the funniest. Like I, I did not know her before this, but she's funny and she's just she's cool. She's I, I think we're gonna see her um, in more stuff um, as this show goes on and after this show is over. Uh, but it's got this single camera format that makes the show feel very modern. But the thing, uh, the big drawback for me on Life in Pieces is it has these music stagers and kind of like this cheesy, fun, bouncy theme song that feels very dated. And it's got an all-white cast for the most part as well, which, again, keep it very dated um, and and just, just not up with, you know, modern television. But it is genuinely funny writing, and the cast is, is very good. Everybody does a good job. There's nobody in the cast that I feel like was miscast, and that's always a risk when you're talking about a big ensemble show like this. But Life in Pieces, I would give a recommendation for. It's a half-hour uh, easy watch, um, a very quick one, and it's one of those shows you can stop in the middle of an episode, come back to it later, and really uh, not miss anything because it is broken up into these four vignettes every week. So I'll recommend Life in Pieces. And one final uh, new fall show to uh, give an early review to is CBS's Code Black. This is a medical drama that I said was one of the 10 interesting shows this fall a few weeks ago when I was doing my fall TV preview right here on the Stream Police. And Code Black so far has not lived up to my expectations for it. It's a little bit sentimental, a little bit sappy. Uh, The writing to me is just not what I was hoping. I I was hoping, I guess, for more grit on a show that is really about the high-octane world of emergency room medicine, especially in Los Angeles. And the point of the show is that Code Black, the name, comes from uh, they have these this color-coded system in the emergency room um, that when not very much is going on, there's not very many patients, they'll call it like Code Green, and then it'll go Code Yellow, Code Red, and then Code Black is when they are just completely inundated. There's no there are way more patients than there are doctors um, and nurses, and 
this happens like in every episode so far. They'll go to Code Black at some point, and it's just intense. Um, and they're they're trying to save multiple people's lives at once, and all the doctors are kind of helping each other out. And that's when the show shines. But when it backs away from that, gets quiet, and we get into their personal lives, and we're and it's just it's kind of it feels like it's forced, like they're trying to make us feel for these people when I don't really feel for them yet. Um, and I didn't really want Code Black to be. A big character show. I mean, I didn't want it to be like a saint elsewhere. I don't feel like it's got the chops, the writing chops for that um, yet. But uh, maybe it'll get there. I don't know. The actors are fine. They're doing a good job. Um, I, I think it was it was well cast. Marsha Gay Harden is. Uh, I mean, she's she's about as solid an actress as you can get. And uh, Louis Guzman is funny um, as the like head nurse of the emergency room there. And it's just a it's an interesting show. It's got these doctors in train training along with. Uh, the veterans there, the grizzled veterans of the emergency room. But is it going to be the next ER? I don't know. Uh, but it's probably the best medical drama that is on, uh, at least right now. I mean, that's uh, what I'm thinking at this point. But I haven't watched Chicago Med, so maybe that's unfair. Uh, so Code Black, though, is right now on CBS. I'm going to hold off judgment. I'm going to maybe get through the season, and then we'll talk a little bit later on about whether or not this is a full-on recommendation. But those are some of the shows I'm watching right now. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Stream Police podcast. Definitely appreciate you guys tuning in um, and uh, look forward to chatting with you again in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be taking off to uh, cover for my day job the uh, CMA Awards in Nashville here in a couple of weeks, and I'll uh, hopefully have some good stories to tell from that and maybe a couple of sound bites, uh, some interviews and things like that with uh, some of the stars there. So maybe we'll get into that a little bit next week uh, or on the next show as well as uh, more movies and television. I'm sure I'll have a review of Steve Jobs by then because I definitely plan on getting out and seeing that this coming weekend. All right, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, once again, recommend it to your friends. That is a huge help. And go on iTunes, give us a rating uh, there on the iTunes store. That is also a very big help in helping us stay visible because we do not advertise anywhere and we don't have advertising here on the Stream Police. So it's all uh, out of our own pockets uh, to you in your pockets on your phone friends and we definitely appreciate you tuning in i'm clint davis i want to thank my uh, partner in crime andy sedlak again go to overduereview.com to read more from us and i will talk to you guys in a couple weeks be safe the stream police podcast is a production of overduereview.com since 2013 the staff at overdue review have written thoughtful unpretentious opinions on hundreds of movies tv shows and music from every era overdue review better late 